So we continue in marks of the gospel, bearing the marks of the gospel, that we are people who follow Christ. And because we are followers of Christ in this world, we get marked up. We get wounds. We get bruised up. We get stripes upon us. And we realize that God is using all of those things to make us and conform us to the image of his son. So that in everything that we face, in every trial, and every victory, and everything that we do, we realize it's moving us towards more unity and deeper understanding of what it means for you and I to be united with Christ. And so we've looked at the marks of unity as a church and how we are commanded by the Holy Spirit through His Word that we are to be unified as the people of God and set before us is the example of Jesus Christ. And in His humility and in His submission, we are to imitate that humility, to imitate that submission, even in the way that we deal with one another and we deal with the outside world. This morning we want to summarize... Uh, what we've gone over over the last several weeks so that we can begin to capture and con- content them, capture what it is that we are to leave this building with as we conform to be with Jesus. The first reading of these scripture verses um, seem like Paul is giving us his travel itinerary, but I think there's much more that's going on uh, than just a travel notice about where he's going and what he's doing. I think he is still, and many scholars agree, that he's still on this idea of what does it mean for us to be followers of Christ. And he uses these two um, disciples of his, these two young men who are with him, uh, that he's been mentoring, that he's been uh, bringing along in the faith as examples of how you and I are also uh, to be followers of Christ and working together in the gospel. So when I was a kid, um, I remember walking down uh, Ponte Vedra Beach with my dad. Uh, we would go down there early in the morning and we would cook a breakfast. And uh, I can remember my dad walking and I would be somewhat behind him. I was just a little tight, maybe five, six years old. And I would try to put my foot in the footprints of everywhere my dad's footprint was. Uh, in doing so, I thought somehow I was magically going to become like my dad. And you guys have seen this picture, I'm sure, all over. All of us have seen somewhere, maybe it's been in the snow up here, where you see kids following their, their parents and saying, I want my feet to go where my parents' feet go. And that's exactly what Paul is giving us here. He's giving us the image of Timothy and Epaphroditus who have put their feet in the footprints of Paul, who has put his feet in the footprints of Christ, and beckoning us to put our footprints in the prints that are before us as we all follow Christ. We talked about all of these different topics we're going to talk about this morning, but I want to begin to summarize this first point this morning, that you and I are to be Christ followers because we are walking with the mark of of humility. In verses 20 through 21, Paul describes this about Timothy. He says, For I have no one like Timothy, no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, though they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. You see what Paul is saying about Timothy? He also says the same thing about Epaphroditus. 
that they have a greater interest than themselves. They even have a greater interest than the Apostle Paul. That their consuming interest, their consuming passion in life is Jesus Christ and his agenda. And those of us who are Christ followers must develop this paradigm. We must develop this attitude. We must develop this heart. That there's nothing more important to us in life than the agenda of our Lord and our Master Jesus. How do we do that? How can we begin to enter into that type of life? Well, we reflect back maybe on verse 3 of chapter 2. If you would look back just one second with me. Apostle Paul encourages us to do nothing from a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing out of conceit, but count others better than yourself. How contrary is that to the messages that we receive today? Isn't what we receive from the the world, and sometimes even within the church, that you are the most important and that you got to look out for number one. And yet the word of God encourages you and I, no more than encourages, commands you and I that we are to look out for others. That we're to look to the interest of Jesus as we look to the interest of others. That the center of East Glenville does not revolve around Brad. Nor does it revolve around you. But the center of East Glenville revolves around the King and the Lord and the Master of the universe, Jesus Christ Himself. And because it's His agenda, and because it's His church, because you are His people, because I'm His minister, we seek to love Him above all others. And we seek for His glory above our own glory. And the way that we do that is in the way that we seek to love one another. And to count each other's interests as important, if not more important, than our own. Who are you looking out for in the church? Who has God put on your heart lately that you say, I want to look out after that person. I want to love them in a way that they know that they are loved. I want to encourage them in a way that they know they are encouraged. I want to lift them up in a way that they know they're lifted up. I want to make their walk easier, not more difficult. Who is God putting on your heart right now, maybe in this moment, to say, Lord, I want to minister to that person? Possibly it's a person that you really, really like. Maybe it's a person you have an awful lot in common with. But could it also maybe be a person that you don't like so much? Maybe it's a person that God's calling you to love them, even when you don't necessarily enjoy their company. Maybe it's someone that you've completely misunderstood, that God is saying, love them. Lift them up. Encourage them. Make their path easier. 
show some humility. Engage. First Jesus, then his people, and then the world. Because like Timothy, we step into his footprints. Wouldn't it be great to hear the words, I have none other than your name. Put it in the blank. I have none other like him, like her. Who puts their, the interest of Christ above their own. Who walks in humility with me. You see, it is the most like Jesus that we can become. We read further about Jesus in chapter 2, and you'll recall with me just a few weeks ago that he emptied himself. He humbled himself. But because these are the footprints of Jesus, the footprints of Paul, the footprints of Timothy, the footprints of Epaphroditus, it is also the footprints of you and I. That we too, like Jesus, like Paul, like Timothy, Epaphroditus, we are to humble ourselves. And be obedient even to death upon a cross. Brings us to the second mark. Not only do we mark with, uh, have a mark of humility, but we also are to walk with a mark of obedience. Look at verse 24 with me. I trust in the Lord that shortly... I myself will come also. Paul is declaring to the Philippian church there that he hopes in the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord, even though he's in prison, that somehow he'll get to the Philippian church again. But notice the way that Paul puts it. He's not giving a definite, I'm coming, I'll be there no matter what. No, he's saying, I trust in God and God's plan for me. I'll be obedient to the place that God has me today. I'll be obedient to the task that God has put in front of me today. I will look for places where God's at work today that I might join Him there today. Obedience is a difficult word for us. And we're obedient to a lot of different things. We're obedient to our supervisors at work. We're obedient sometimes to our parents We're obedient sometimes to authorities that are put over us. We see the erosion of obedience to our law enforcement people. Obedience is becoming a much more cloudy word than it ever was before. And yet we're called to an objective obedience in the things of Jesus. But let's not make a mistake that the things of Jesus... And what they are. That the things of Jesus are this. Love. Peace. Joy. Kindness. Gentleness. Self-control. Long-suffering. Faithfulness. They're not in the ancillary things that we like to be obedient to. So that our pride can puff and we can say, see, I'm walking better than you're walking. I'm following more closely than you're following him. No, God has objectively put things out in front of us that mark obedience that are difficult for us to achieve perfection in for this perfect reason, that you and I will never obtain perfectness in them. So that no man can boast. 
that no woman can boast. But that we understand on a daily basis we are saved through grace and grace alone. That we are sanctified by grace and grace alone. And the day is coming that we will be glorified by grace and grace alone. And in that time frame, from beginning of birth to the end of our days till we face Jesus, we live lives of grace and mercy following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus. We do not follow men. We do not follow women. We follow Christ. And we follow others as they follow Christ. If they are not manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, if they are not manifesting the words of Jesus, if they're not manifesting the commands and the call of Jesus, then we need to check the footprints and where they're leading. If there are footprints that lead us to live on our own and in our own self-righteousness, in our own self-self, then I promise you those are not words of Scripture. But if we have words and use words and we're following people who say, unify as one in Christ, seek peace, seek love, seek joy, seek the Lord's glory, then I promise you we are following people who are following Christ. If you find a humble heart in love with Jesus, follow If you find a person whose main objective in life is to reflect the character of Jesus more and more and more, that person's taking you somewhere close to Christ. We must be careful not to follow the things of Jesus more than Jesus. We are to be obedient only to Christ. And not to traditions. It's the mistake that the Pharisees made. They made the mistake of loving their traditions more than the one who created the traditions. You and I must be open and alive and awake to what the Spirit is doing in the church according only and singularly to the Word of God and follow that and that alone. And follow those who are pointing to God's Word. Obedience is the fruit of love. But obedience without love is Pharisaism. Obedience is the fruit of love. But obedience without love is Pharisaism. And maybe the highest form of Pharisaism is traditionalism. When our traditions mean more to us than the advancement of the gospel, we're not showing humility, we're showing pride. And when they mean more to us than the advancement of the gospel, we are not in obedience. 
But we are in direct disobedience. We are going completely the opposite direction of where Jesus is going. Where is Jesus going? Leads us to our third mark. We have the mark of humility, the mark of obedience, but also the mark of love. Verses 25 through 28. I have thought it necessary to send Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and my fellow soldier, and your messenger and your minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Do you hear the love of the Apostle Paul for Epaphroditus? Paul, who supposedly, by modern scholars has been portrayed as someone who's cold and hard and, and just a mean, sort of stiffy guy. And yet his heart is wide open and filleted here for a fellow brother. It says, I love him. I love him so much when he got sick, I was scared to death he was going to die. And I thought my sorrow would be never ending. I thought it would be sorrow upon sorrow, but God had mercy on him. God had mercy on Epaphroditus. He saved him. And not only did he save him, but he saved my heart from being broken. Is that the passion we have for one another? Is, it, is that the heart of a follower of Christ? I've got to admit, sometimes when I see bad guys get their due... Kind of like that. But that's kind of wrong. Because when I do that, when I, cel- when I celebrate the fall of someone, when I celebrate their stumbling, even if they're a bad guy or a bad gal, just don't be sexist here, I need to remember... I'm a broken, fallen person just like they are. And the thing that they need right now is not me to come down upon them, but me to lift them up and love them and help them recover. We must be a people that have wash basins and cloth. Just like Jesus did. Just like when Jesus came and washed the disciples' feet. God's people must be people that have portable wash basins, portable washing cloths, ready in any emergency and any place to come and to bring healing. Yes, we teach, we disciple, yes, we even use the, God, the Word of God to rebuke at times. But even in the rebuking with the Word of the Lord, it must be done with love. There's not one word in these 66 books that is not motivated by the love of God from his own heart to you. These can never be tools and weapons that we use to hurt people with, to slay people with, to keep people enchained and enslaved. But they must be words of love and restoration and freedom. 
and even to call people into repentance. But we are to first and foremost put every word through the grid of the love of God in Jesus Christ for ourselves so that we may show that love to others. Let me take you back to verse 8, second chapter, verse 8. Speaking of Jesus here, Paul says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I don't know what we think that was about at times. It baffles me, even in my own heart, how I have gospel amnesia all the time. That whole point of that cross was for one point and one point only. For God so loved you. And God so loved me. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not just life. Not just existence, but abundant life in the glory of the living God to be lavishly and relentlessly immersed in his love day after day after day for the rest of eternity. God has sought every single way to save the world, including his own death, so that you and I may have life. He did not do that because he hated us. He did not do that because he was angry with us. He did not do that because he was mean. He didn't do it for any other purpose other than the purpose of love. And God beckons you and I and calls us to walk with that same type of mark. You think not, remember the words of our master, the words of our teacher, who said to us what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me. I've left my footprints on history. You have apostles who have put their foots and feet in my footprints. You've had disciples who have put their feet in their footprints. You've had church fathers and mothers who have put their feet in the footprints of the ones who've gone before them. History is filled with a cloud of witnesses and the footprints that they have left for you and I this day to put our feet in their prints and follow them as they follow Jesus, even unto death on a cross. Jesus is not ambivalent. He is not mysterious about what he requires from his people. The master of the universe requires our allegiance to the commands that he has given us. And the first command is this, to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul, and to love others like you love yourself. It is what marks us as disciples of Christ more than anything else. The mark of love. 
And because of that, we're back into this fourth mark of walking with the mark of faithfulness. Verses 29 and 30 say this. So receive him, speaking of Epaphroditus here, in the Lord with all joy and honor of such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We see three men, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, willing to die for the cause of Christ. Willing to be faithful even unto death so that the world may know that God is really ticked. No. See if you're awake. So that the world may know that God loves them. Sometimes it's hard to be willing to give a ride to somebody. Sometimes it's hard to be willing to make a meal. Sometimes it's hard just to encourage someone in a Sunday school class or to come on Sunday morning or to join a Bible study or to take a position in the church leadership or just to pray with someone, maybe just to sit and be company. All things that are inconvenient at times and hard and yet we have our example, our footprints in front of us in history that we're willing to die for the cause of Christ and the love of God. We should be completely aware that this is the allegiance that Jesus calls each of his followers to. And nothing less. To water it down or to make it palatable, or to make it easy for our culture and in our place in history, would be wrong. When Jesus said, come and follow me, it means as much today as it did the day that he said that. You and I are to be faithful. You remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of Mark who said this, when the Son of Man returns... Will he find faithfulness? Will he find that his people have been faithful to his call, to his commission, to his commands? Or will he find us huddled up in religious clubs all over the globe, enjoying our potlucks? Or will he find a people that are strong, courageous, and brave, and filled with mission to follow the commands of Jesus and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even if it means death? We are to walk in humility for sure, and our humility is obedience. And obedience comes from the fruit of love. And love causes and calls us and beckons us to repent to faithfulness.
I find the world outside a mean place. It's cruel. It's harsh. It's hard. It's fallen. And it's broken. And it's dying. We should be nothing like that. We should be a place of reception and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness to rescue the broken people out of that hard world. That's what faithfulness would look like. So then what are our next steps? Well, the first is this. Again, Jesus' command, deny ourselves and follow Christ. It is what Jesus requires of each and every one who would follow him. There's no lesser requirement. There's no, like, step B. You remember the rich young ruler? Jesus didn't have a plan B for him. It was sell all you got and come and follow me. Deny yourself, come and follow me. It's no time to be wishy-washy. That may be a southern term. It's no time to be indifferent. This is no time to not listen. Jesus says come Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. How can I do that, Jesus? I'm scared to death. When I was a young boy, I was scared of the dark. Still not real fond of it. But you and I should trust in the dark that the light of the world is with us. In those dark places in our life, those dark circumstances, the dark place in the doctor's office, the dark place in our marriages, the dark place in our finances, the dark places even in our church, the dark places in the roof, the dark places in the basement, the dark places on the computer screen, the dark places in the bottle, the dark places in the syringe, and the dark places in the pill bottle. It's there in those darknesses that the light of God shines the brightest. I want to read something from you from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10 and 11. Let me tell you how serious God is about this. Who among you fears the Lord? In other words, who among you really believes in God and obeys the voice of his servant? In this case, maybe the voice of Christ, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Even in the dark places of disease, in the dark places, anywhere there is darkness, rely on God. But hear this. Behold, all of you who... Kindle a fire. The NIV puts it, lights your own fire. All of you 
who light your own fire to equip yourselves with burning torches, go ahead, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. And this is what you will receive from my hand, the Lord speaking. You will lie down in torment. You see what God is saying to you and I today is total trust. The total releasing of trusting Him with everything. That means trusting Him with people, with finances, with places, with plans, with purposes, with power. You trust Him with everything, even when you don't understand. Even when it's dark, you rely upon God. Because if you don't, your temptation will be like my temptation. I'll figure a way out. I'll provide for myself. I'll look after me. I'll revert back to number one. And God says, when you and I do that, here's what we can expect. Torment. Who's more tormented than a self-centered person? We must, the third thing here, love Jesus more than things, including the things of Jesus. We must love Jesus more than anything. There can be no higher love in your life. Not the love of a spouse, not the love of a child, not the love of a tradition, not the love of a vow, not the love of money, not the love of anything. There could be no higher love in your life than the love you have for God. And in that love, the fourth thing here is you and I must trust. God will get you home before dark. He hasn't lost you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He even knows exactly who you're married to. Who your children are. Maybe that you're not married. Maybe that you want to be and you're not. Maybe you are and you don't want to be. God knows where you're at. You must trust Him right where you're at, right now, today. You say, Pastor, I don't don't know if I can do these things. I try. I try hard. And sometimes I fall. Sometimes I fail. Hear this. God already knows that. He already knows you're going to blow it. The point is not to get God to like you. There was a cross that already covered every place you've blown it. There's a cross that has covered every place you're blowing it right now. And there's a cross that will cover everything you're going to do in the future that blows it. I've told you this before. You remember Martin Luther said, if the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, then the greatest sin must be not to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. How are you doing? Maybe you're like me and you find, I can't do that more than 10 minutes. Maybe 10 seconds. In trusting God, you must trust He provided your salvation in every area that you failed. So that you may be free. And so that I may be free to pursue bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Not out of 
fearful retribution, but out of the joy of being loved so incredible, so deep, so eternal, so magnificent that God would die to equip His saints to do the good works. Not do the good works so that they may die, but do the good works because God died on their behalf. To free them, to live for Him, to work for Him, and to shed His glory in a dark and a dying world. One last question. What kind of footprints are you leaving? Sometimes we want our footprints to be so stretched out and so far that nobody could ever step in them. To show how big we are. Maybe we ought to humble ourselves a little bit and, and, and leave footprints that people can follow. Who are you leaving footprints for? How would your world be different if you really said, I'm going to follow the footprints of the ones who went before me, I'm going to leave footprints for those who live after me? How would your home be different? How would this community be different? This morning, maybe you've never left a footprint that you can think of in your life. I want to tell you, today's the day to come to Christ. Come to the cross. He will allow you and equip you to make huge footprints filled with grace. Filled with mercy. Follow Him. Amen. Let's pray.